people who love them. Is that better? Yeah. Hello again. This is The Thing About Cars. Thank you for joining us today. We have a bunch of new faces at the table, at the table at Strongbox West, that is. I should not fail to mention that. But uh, today we have... Ronnie Matthew. And then our usual... Ben. And then some new friends. Andrew. Alex. Roman. And we're just going to do our thing and talk about cars. We don't actually have a topic sheet up on the board today, so we are going to, uh, I think, just completely freeform this, which probably won't sound that different from what we usually do. Um, <laughs> but uh, who wants to go first? Who has something that they want to talk about? Well, that article you brought up in chat was kind of interesting the other day, talking about the uh, the statement that Bob Lutz made about autonomous autonomous vehicles yeah. being released in the next 15 to 20 years, mm-hmm. which I think is... Oh, croc. I think that is completely inaccurate. I can't agree with what he's saying. So let's summarize that for the audience. What does Lutz say? So Lutz is saying that within 15 to 20 years, we're not going to have public, or we're not going to have personalized transportation anymore. You're not going to really own your own cars. There's going to be these vehicular modules that you can order, kind of like you do with Uber or Lyft. Mm -hmm. They're going to be fully autonomous. You order it, it comes to your door, you get in. You go to wherever you're going to go, you insert your credit card, or he says thumbprint, uh, as a form of payment, whatever it's going to be in 15 to 20 years, and then you'd be along your way. But you won't have a personalized vehicle of your own. There will, there might be that option, but for the most part, it's just going to be fully autonomous, and you won't have to worry about having your own car anymore. Okay. Well, you're seeing a start of this, not with autonomous, but with non-ownership of cars, with the zip car. Where you, the car is sitting there like you have the bicycles in various big cities, Citibank bicycle, where you just put your credit card in, you take a bicycle, and you, if you drop it off at a certain time, you don't pay. Right. Well, you wouldn't have that with the car. Obviously, you have to pay for the gas, but you do have you have a zip car sitting outside a strong box right now. Right. Ronnie, why do you, do you think this idea is going to work? So the scale on which it would have to operate just doesn't seem very feasible to me. I think a lot of people seem to neglect the diversity of automotive need we have here in America. If we were to keep this contained in a scenario like New York City, Charlotte, LA, et cetera, et cetera, sure, totally possible. Uh, Full self-driving vehicles are still very beta in the sense of making it work on major roadways. Now, if you take something autonomous and you put it on a rural road, where there aren't great markings on the road or there's huge deviations and potholes or county money's going into the sheriff's pocket more than it is into <clears throat> construction to make sure roads are up to a federal standard. The, these are massive costs to incur for a local uh, township or county or whatever would be responsible for the road for a car to compensate and remain autonomous in that kind of situation. So grandma that lives in the backwoods of Cleveland, Georgia, um, really wouldn't be able to get an autonomous vehicle to her because the car wouldn't autonomous, autonomously make its way through the wooded path, which you might miss if you see the third owl. You know what I mean? So <laughs> in that kind of situation, you can't federally mandate something like that or expect that to be uh, the norm. On top of that, who's going to absorb all the maintenance costs? So if you're not responsible for the car anymore, then all of a sudden... You have huge maintenance bills on the company that's charging the, cl- the clients to, you know, use these autonomous vehicles. And your $15 trip all of a sudden turns into a $70 trip because the control module that was manufactured for that autonomous vehicle cost $3,000. 
I think a lot of that is already um, in progress as far as the technology being there to do autonomous cars. Like uh, MC, you're wearing an M-Series shirt for BMW. BMW has the self-park um, autonomous valet now where you can just push the button, it goes and parks itself. But there's flaws with the markings because I went to BMW's uh, diagnostic seminar mm -hmm. and they were showing us their autonomous parking car. And as part of the seminar, they said, we're going to push this button, it's going to go park itself. It went and parked itself in a handicapped spot. <laughs> there's a ticket for you. You know, those are the, right. as you're just saying, the markings is an excellent way to put that. So I don't think we'll ever really get to fully autonomous because of the variations. But the self-stopping cars, self-parking cars, and more autonomous vehicles are going to show up. But I don't think they'll be fully autonomous. I think that they'll always have some sort of driver input exactly. involved, at least until we get, like you said, something that's more consistent on roadways. Maybe a particular city would have that kind of service. Well, that's the thing. It's like it sort of depends upon the city, and it sort of depends upon the topography of the city, and um, and the organized the way, if the city is well organized enough, right? So if there's enough variation in the way streets are put, laid out. And if things aren't predictable from a rules perspective, it becomes harder to implement any of those things. Uh, so, but remember, too, the stuff's going to get better. Absolutely. Machine learning right now is yeah. making such great strides. These things will learn how to do it. Right. And that's what I was saying with those autonomous parts, like the instant stop and that kind of stuff. They can predict. It doesn't matter what the oh, dirt road is. Sure. If there's something in front of you, it's going to be able to stop. It's going to be able to see it. But and I right. think Lutz is kind of half right. Uh, his timeline, I think, is a little doubtful because one of the things he's saying is okay five years at some point some proclaimed point to get all the cars off the road well that's a, that's a that's a heck of a the scrap metal infrastructure wouldn't be able to handle that right well there's also the fact that this is in order to do this it would have to be a culture change yeah absolutely it's not you would have, have more to, money. you don't do culture changes in 15 years right i mean it might be in 40 50 years there might be more. Now, certainly the government could have a big influence in this if they do public transportation. Right. If they start there and show that it would work, proof of, proof of concept. Well, if people like it, then it happens fast. Yeah, but this country <laughs> loves cars. We yes, love we do, them. but we've got a generation coming up now that doesn't care about cars. That is true. That's why I say it's a culture <laughs> change. But you have to go through a whole generation, maybe a generation and a half, yeah. before they're in charge well, and I, they're making the, the, the financial decision. I think you're both kind of right. Culture change doesn't happen quickly unless people want to adopt something quickly. The problem with the trouble with our fickle society is that anything that we adopt quickly, we can also discard quickly. Sure. That's absolutely And you were talking about the ownership of cars, and this generation doesn't like to do that. I see that a lot oh, yeah. with people oh, yeah. younger than me. But I don't think that the older cars, you said the scrap metal industry couldn't handle it. I don't think all right. that the, all those cars deserve to be scrapped just because they no longer belong. Because well, there's always going to be the collector like myself who yeah. has way too many cars. But, you know, I just I just keep them just because I love them. I love that said, too, if you concept. get to the point where only some rich people can afford the old cars, right now there's a huge, huge supply of old cars. Mm -hmm. They're not going to want all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's actually a thing in Japan. Um, their insurance is based off of the age of your car. The older your car, the more expensive it gets. And so mm -hmm. people will discard the older cars. They go to the crusher. Ben, you and I have sort of lamented the idea that a lot of the car show stuff that we see when we go out to car shows is geared towards a wealthy audience. Yeah. So if the upcoming generations don't value those things, does that mean that older cars are going to be more affordable to those of us eventually? Maybe. I also think that, you know, these older cars that you see at car shows, like from the 50s, 60s, sometimes 40s, maybe even the 70s and 80s, um, what are the, going to be the classic cars of the future? Because you have these 90s cars, like the Chevy Caprice, that will just fall apart. You're not going to have right. it around 
to be a classic car. They're just the build quality is not the same. Yeah. Right. So like, you know, a 2001 Honda Civic, although a great car in context, will it hold up the stand of time? Will somebody put that much love into that car that they're buying now for $1,500? The transmission won't. But to stick it will, but yeah, an automatic, right. no, no, automatic the slush bucket's going to go out. Well, I know one freak who will. I used to work with a guy about 12 years ago who had a, uh, what was it? It was a Geo Prism. A white, <laughs> a, a white, a white four-door Geo Prism with a brown plastic interior. Oh yeah, and he had about three hundred thousand miles on it, and he loved it dearly. He said it had gotten him through the worst times in his life. So he said if he ever made millions of dollars, he would have it restored to like new. And I'm like fat chance because a dozen years ago the thing was already falling apart. Right. <laughs> well, that's something else. It depends on how people are going to value their cars. Right. And from what I see coming into the shop to get fixed, I see that there's people who really take care of their cars and there's people who don't and the people right. who don't is becoming more popular. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about the recent Blade Runner 2049 and that the Volkswagen community sort of had a brief hurrah moment when they saw a Beetle go across the screen and it's only on screen for like a second, maybe less, and uh, yeah. and yet Volkswagen was still like, "Hey, is it's it, a Beetle." Is it a mod? Was it a modern Beetle or a '60s Beetle? It was a '60s Beetle. Okay. Of course, it's a '60s Beetle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. But you know, the older car. Right. Not the not the newer one. Not the one that's built to fall apart. That's my first car. '67 Beetle. '67 Beetle. Mine was a '73. Yeah. I wonder how many people in the audience uh, even knew what Peugeot was. Their name was all over the oh, movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because Peugeot doesn't sell anything in this country at the moment. Right. But anyway, cool. But it kind of that kind of leans towards the alternate point that we had uh, over at dinner, where the '70s was that transition period where things started to just turn into dilapidated junk. Yeah, where '70s specifically didn't have anything stellar, in my opinion. I, I'm I'm being in the industry that I'm in. Every '70s cars, every '70s car that I've ever dealt with was a piece of crap and just fell apart on me instantly. Um, but I felt like the 70s was also the mark of cars that wouldn't last for forevermore. And there are sprinkles here and there. I mean, like, you can go into the early 90s and find something like a GTR from Japan or an RX-7 or some of those cars that will hold up to the test of time. But for the most part, I mean, you look at what happened to the Chevy Nova from the 60s into what it turned into in the 80s, and you're like, this can't be the same car. They, they could not have been thinking the same thing. When they made these two cars, or maybe it was a misprint or something. Right. Like, oh, you know, names but get recycled. It became a Nova. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> they forgot to add the accent. They, it wasn't in the budget. Yeah, well, 70s was kind of a historic moment, though. Well, more than a moment, a historic era, because uh, on the one hand, things changed a lot, and some may say not for the better. But what we think of as the way cars are made today started in the 70s. They became smaller, more efficient, a little more technological. Electronic fuel injection and ignition both became kind of mainstream then. Well, is that because they forced better you know, fuel economy and they added the then they had the catalytic converter back then? And yeah, they started, that's when they started the gentleman's law too, was it? or is that an '80s law? I can't remember. Which, so yeah, the, a lot of the modern systems that we think of today as being kind of standard really sort of began then, and another interesting thing that happened in the 70s was in the early part of the decade a lot of really really cool wedge origami concept cars were coming out they were about 30 inches tall and very pointy and more of them made it into production than people really realize i can think well, of those design influences do still sort of translate to a few things today yeah 
uh, some of them stayed in, and some of them stayed in production for years uh, mm -hmm. once they did reach production. One of those swoopy 70s concepts was the very first M car, the M1. Yeah. Uh, so we have joining us at the table midstream here, Becca. Becca has arrived. She is slowly getting plugged in and will join us here in a minute, but I didn't want her voice to surprise anybody. Um, oh, I was just trying to stay quiet back here and not... Uh, right, and to just bring her up to speed, we have it. The original question that we've all sort of been tossing around behind the scenes prior to this recording was, did anything really worthwhile come out of the 70s? And we're not actually answering that question yet, but... Um, but we sort of bounced around, you know, different elements of, okay, what did the 70s do to the automotive world? Um, and Alex is saying that that was the era that we saw, um, I don't know what to call it, uh, you know, because cars more were... government made, intervention in the auto industry. More government That's intervention in the auto industry. And the cars, as a result, don't last as long. Is that what you're saying? Well, certainly that seems to be, there seemed to be a correlation there. It's just that we had, you know, uh, you know working on my son's truck, with the catalytic converter. Without the catalytic converter, he gets 15 more miles to the gallon. Mm -hmm. You know, so we have, do we pollute the air more or do we use up just twice the amount the of gas? I mean, which is worse? I don't know what, I don't know, the, I don't know necessarily what the answer is. Right. I'm not an ecologist uh, uh, or environmentalist, but, but the whole idea that the government keeps trying to tinker with it as opposed to, we used to have companies, maybe before the 70s, because I was going to say that toasters lasted longer before the 70s too. I am going to have to agree the government screwed up the toaster industry. <laughs> there are still 70s and 80s cars that that are lasting a lot better than cars nowadays. Yes, nowadays absolutely. Nowadays are pretty much disposable, and I know a lot of people get upset when I say that, but they pretty much are. They make them in America. They're called Toyota. <laughs> yes. Well, there, there's a reason they don't last as long. That's because they want to sell you a second one. Right. Right, it's, it was, you know, you call it planned obsolescence. That's what I like to call it. That's that's a good uh, that's a good thing to call it. Well, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily the case. I say that the computer technology that we have in these cars is getting more complicated, and because of that, the repair bills are getting higher because you're going to need a better technician to work on it, and I'm not going to work for you know minimum wage doing these things. So when the repair bills get too high, a lot of people say, I'm not fixing it. It's cheaper to buy another car. And that's typically when I see people get rid of their cars, whereas cars from the 70s and 80s today, people are considering a classic, and they're willing to throw that money into the car. Also, once they're 25 years old, at least in Atlanta, you don't need emissions anymore, and emissions is the killer of cars. Yeah. I got four more emissions tests. There you go. And once you get done with that emissions testing, then you can do whatever you want to keep it drivable and not have those kinds of issues or those massive repair bills like a catalytic converter, as Alex was just saying. Right. Have I gone on a plant on, on area? I don't think I have. I've talked about taking my Mustang down to um, down yep. a car. Just taking everything computerized off of it, even even the uh, uh, what is it, the, the fuel injector unit. Just taking everything off of it, taking it down to car. You can do it. Just I'm, I'm tired of needing a laptop to work on my car, and it's it's almost 25 years old. I shouldn't need a laptop for this car. What kind of Mustang do you have? I'm not familiar. I have a '97 4.6. Okay. So the the modular era. I don't know what all you all have brought up. Though, since I'm coming in late. Go for it. We can always edit creatively later. Well, you skipped over. I, I, I had a great joke, and, uh, well, I'm, I'm a little late, so joke won't work so well. So <laughs> great scene to come out of the 70s for the automotive industry was me. Um, <laughs> but no, really, because uh, I was looking, and I'm sure Ben has probably already touched on a lot of this, but the introduction of airbags, we're first seeing the first electric cars. I did not mention that, actually. 
Um, yeah, they, they were coming out early 70s, the yeah. first electric cars were being seen, I think, from Japan and Germany, I think. I think the first well, hydrogen of... fuel cell vehicle, or yeah. biodiesel was in, definitely in the 70s, I remember that Didn't one. Didn't we get the brilliant automatic seatbelts that cut people oh. off? Oh, <laughs> that was a 90s thing. Oh, that was a 90s? I thought that yeah. was a late 80s. I was, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was 80s. It was 80s. Yeah, yeah. I thought late 80s. Late it was the 80s, late 80s, and it was very I, prominent in early 90s. Yeah, I had a customer with an 87 Camry that had the automatic. So I know for sure it was an 87. <laughs> Weren't those decapitating people? Yes. 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 Were they really? Yes. Yeah. Because they, they, they wouldn't put on the lap, though. Oh. Yeah. Well, I thought it was because not everybody needed it at the same angle. So if they had it at the right angle, the way they would well, hit it in an accident. I just always put yeah. me. I love the adjustable height on the shoulder belt on cars now. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. total departure from our earlier topic, but I heard that um, that pickup trucks are exempt from certain seatbelt laws for the whole decapitation reason. Is that is that a thing? Or? That used to be the yeah. case, and it was for sure. My grandfather owns a construction company, and they, uh, he never wear a seatbelt in his truck, and then they changed the law on him. And they, uh, it used to be there was one person in legislation who just did not want to wear a seatbelt, and he said, you know, farmers don't need to wear it because they're out doing their thing, but they... Uh, I'm pretty sure all this is still current, but they changed the law back after he quit being a senator, and now um, you do have to wear a seatbelt in every vehicle you have. That actually sounds a lot like the story I had originally heard, yeah. but I didn't know if there was a remaining technical reason, because I have met a police officer who responded to a, 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 an event, and he told the driver, if you had been wearing your seatbelt, you'd be dead right now. Yeah. So, you know, I was in one of those accidents, too. Yeah. Um, they, they didn't say I'd be dead, but I would have been held to the point of impact instead of being pushed away from it. Hmm. I, I, I know I yeah. know. more often they're helpful. I think fight. every car should have come with optional ejection seats. That would be awesome. Ejecto seat. Well, Roman's truck has ejecto seat, though, because his uh, passenger seat isn't bolted all the way down. So <laughs> <laughs> you're going through the windshield. Wait, Roman, what's this? My S10 only has... In the passenger seat has three bolts holding it in because the fourth one would not line up because I still have the original seatbelt in there. If I take the original seatbelt out, which is connected to frame instead of the seatbelt connected to the seat, which yeah. I find it safer to have it connected to the frame, you this seat would be completely and totally bolted down. But there are three holding it in, tightened basically two spec right. or past spec. So it'll mostly work. The slide rail still moves, yeah. so it'll still send you to the dashboard. <laughs> <laughs> if it makes you feel better, you can come out and see my Mustang. I don't even have the passenger seat in it right now. <laughs> yeah, more leg room. Exactly. Plus a slider. Oh, I got no seats in my Lotus right now. See, but I also don't have a brake system or a dashboard in it. So <laughs> well, I have my preference. It wouldn't be seat belts and it wouldn't be airbags. It would be what they had in demolition van, where the entire interior car had a foam mm -hmm. that you that instantly came out and you were just it was just one big right solid foam like styrofoam and you just broke out of it. Still, Sylvester Stallone. I remember that. that was, I can't imagine that's cost effective. Changing airbags as it is is super expensive on cars. Like yeah. the terracotta airbag thing or yeah. whatever it was called. Tacata. Tacata. I'm not wearing that shirt Tecata. today. Yeah. They, uh, the airbag recall. That was a fun one to be changing airbags on. Just, you know, change them enough is expensive. So, so I think we're going to hit a limit here with time. So um, let's stop. And I have a, a question I'm going to ask at the start of the next episode, which is how many of us at the table are are actual techs or in training to be techs. 
So uh, I think that's it for the day. Anyone else have anything quick they want to add before we wrap up? No? No. no cool. Thanks again to our listeners for joining us. Uh, this is The Thing About Cars coming to you from Strongbox West as usual. Please check us out online at Facebook at The Thing About Cars. And our website is thethingaboutcars.com. We always welcome your questions and your comments and your feedback. And as always, stay safe. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. This has been The Thing About Cars. We'll see you on the road.